Hey, this is Alex. Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. In this episode, James and I discuss overcoming the hurdle of time management and productivity for instructors when a traditional course transitions to online instruction. This can be one of the unforeseen obstacles for many teachers when first beginning the switch to a fully online course. Keep listening to learn our recommendations and hacks for a better experience. first official episode not as a contributor or a guest but like an actual member of the team right um, that'll that'll be released maybe yeah did we cut what, have you have you recorded i another was on one? one with amelie and cammy but i don't know i don't know it hadn't been out yet yeah i don't yeah. know when this one's gonna fall in the yeah official queue of it all right how we get it all edited but hey welcome officially as your first thanks alex full, maybe it's it's contribution nice. yeah it's nice <laughs> not, to be here and if anybody liked the music that they just heard. Sure. They can also thank you for that as well. Yeah. Because that's your original that's right. composition. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Thanks for yeah. yeah. Thanks for using it. I'm gonna it. I'm gonna ask for a link in the in the, in the description. at some point. <laughs> I was considering this today. Like what would I link them to? Right. Um I always like to kick these off with a with a question that I can link back into the subject that we're talking about here. Do you ever play with jigsaw puzzles? How do you feel about those? Yeah man, I'm a puzzler. Yeah. Well kinda I'm a I'm a supporter of puzzlers. My my wife and son enjoy puzzles and I don't uh-huh. really enjoy puzzles, but I enjoy them enjoying puzzles. So I yeah. come and work a little bit. I'm also terrible at them. So I go work a little bit That's on fair. it and then I bail and then they finish it up. But my wife loves them. Mm-hmm. I used to have a friend. He worked at one of the big puzzle manufacturers, Ravensburger. Oh, no way. Yeah. And so oh. he would, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get him in trouble. He would like drop me off some puzzles sometimes. He had the line on some puzzles. Sure. That's a perk of the of yeah. the position to yeah. be able to get out those those early releases. I, I'm similar to you where I don't necessarily have the inherent patience for puzzles, right. jigsaw puzzles. However, my wife loves them. My daughter, who's four, is starting to get into them. They are great because they're a great analog game. You really just take your time. You have to have to be strategic with how you place it all together. Yeah. You can't just kind of go into it willy-nilly. And yeah. I was thinking that's a good analogy is we're going to talk time management today and sure. productivity and building and working in online courses. Awesome. If you were going to with your wife and son going to help solve a jigsaw puzzle with them, how would you, what would be your strategy going into it? How would you attack it? Okay. So we have one like house strategy, which is the same one as everybody was do the border first, right? Yeah. So we do the border, Mm -hmm. but the second one or where I usually add some value later on, since I'm not good at finding the the links anyway in a puzzle is I I end up in sorting tasks, you know, Mm. sort things by shape um, or by color or by whatever the kind of whatever the puzzle dictates would be the smart way to go about it, right? So I end up being kind of, well, you know, hey, another analog. It's a support role, rather like instructional design is a support role. That's the the key strategy there that, like you said, it's the house rules, but but everybody kind of operates from it. You want to find, ideally, those corner pieces. Yeah. And then work to the edges and then maybe find those those easily identifiable colors, shapes, patterns, depending on what kind of... 
uh, image we were looking to construct by the end of it. Sure. And then you really have to, once that framework is built, then you can get into the nitty gritty of like, what are the other little details and other little pieces I can put together to make a complete picture by the end of this. And I think that's kind of the, using that as the analogy to launch into what we're going to talk about with time management is there are going to be those, those corner pieces, those edge pieces when it comes to time management in online instruction that maybe I want to approach at the 30,000 foot level. And then I think one of the things that I, I know you're really great at working with you on the ID team here is really good at those little, like, what are those detail pieces? What are those, those nitty gritty hacks and those ways to like really fill in with productivity and maximize those times? Let's get into it. Awesome. So really what we want to do is take maybe some of those pieces and components that they've gotten used to in the face-to-face and learn how those work parallel or in conjunction with what they're doing in the online space. Because working with instructors, very rarely are are they going to be unilaterally in one of those lanes, right? right. They're going to some Especially are gonna these be, days. Yeah. They're going to be teaching some face-to-face, some online. Some hybrid. Yeah. So how do we blend all these together? Because it is going to be different, right? I mean, in your experience, yeah. what's what's some of the key differences well, you know, with online versus... I'm glad you asked. The biggest difference, I think, if you're coming to it from face-to-face is that we front load a lot of the work. You know, in a face-to-face class, you can stay a few steps ahead of them and that's okay. But in an online class, you want to build the whole thing out in advance. So then when you are delivering the class, actually teaching it, you can focus not on content development, but on interacting with the students, on giving quality feedback and all those kinds of things. So the rhythm is different from what you're used to. I mean, when I first started teaching online, that was the biggest difference for me was the first time through I had to stay, I, you know, I tried it. I tried to stay a week ahead of them. It wasn't yeah. a great way to do it. It's not a great way to teach. Everybody knows this. It's just that teaching often is not set up in such a way that you can really front load all that work. But that's what we really strive to do. We build it out before go time. And then once it's, you know, once it's underway, you can make adjustments, make notes for next time, yep. figure out how you're going to reconfigure it. But that's the the biggest difference, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree. I think the face-to-face really allows for you to react in real time. That's that's very organic. That's human interaction. Sure. And we've removed that in the online space when it's asynchronous. And that doesn't mean that we can't replicate that in online spaces. It just requires more intentionality and more intentionality requires more time there you go. and preparation. Yeah. So even one of the first points if you are used to that face-to-face environment, you're shifting into an online teaching environment, it's going to have to be in place prior to the course beginning. Yeah. One of the big components that I think is a very quick and easy implementation would be if you're teaching a three-hour online course, you know, typically if that was a face-to-face, you're spending three hours a week in the classroom. You're still going to have to, in a face-to-face, devote time outside of the actual lecture or, or teaching face-to-face with grading, with all these other components. But you can utilize that space still for a three-hour online course, still keep those three hours that you would have been using for the face-to-face lecture or instruction right. and use that now for the, the time dedicated for responding to the student messages, getting into the discussion boards, finding space to grade. That's going to really help you stay on top of the week-to-week activities that are going to be happening in the online space. Yeah. And in fact, you know, it's kind of a relief as an instructor. Once you've built a class all the way out and you're mm-hmm. not, you know, playing this chase catch up game where you're trying yep. to stay a week ahead of them, it's just a lot more relaxing. You really can stir it up in the discussion boards, which is something I recommend everybody do. And the thing I got oh, the yeah. best feedback for as, as an online instructor when I was doing that 
uh, was I actually spent time in the discussion boards. I, t- I spent a lot of time in the discussion boards. And even if you're just like saying, you know, just giving gentle reassurances and saying, oh, hey, that's a good point. It doesn't have to be super substantive. It just has to be there. And, right. and you can really, yeah, you, you can take that time that you would have been spending stressing out trying to get your lecture together the night before and instead spend that time giving people a little bit of um, uh, extra, I want to say attaboy, but I need a non-sexist version of attaboy. <laughs> at, a, at a person, you know, give them some little encouragement <laughs> at a human you know, at a human yeah yeah you can you can encourage people there and you can you can find ways you can have fun doing it chiming in and saying oh yeah you know that's good that reminds me of right you know another thing if you're into that you might dig this and and then they'll really feel like you're there and and you can do the same thing if you're if you're less about discussions or in addition to discussions you can do it in terms of your feedback on assignments you can give spend a little more time on those because you know you've you've already You've already built the class out that makes it's much more efficient after it's built. Absolutely. As the world of online education continues to grow and there's continuous policies and practices and procedures, and this can be something we'll, we'll focus on down the road, but boil it down too reductively would be just to, you need to be in your course actively engaging, not just relying on automated feedback or automated grading. You need to be active in your course. And time management is a huge piece of allowing you that freedom to do it in a substantive way where, yeah, maybe sometimes you're just prompting the conversation forward, but other times you're interjecting, playing devil's advocate, really stirring up discussion or giving adequate feedback on the grading that you're doing. Yeah. And you have to understand that that time is, is there for you. You just have to build it out in your schedule ahead of time. We're totally going to have to do an episode on discussion boards and how to use them. Absolutely. How to use them well. <laughs> I mean, everybody uses them, but there's there's a there's some nuance to using them in ways that that help students out rather than just as a way to publicly turn in your assignment. Yes. And a big a big part of that is actually a really good segue to to leaning into the powers of the learning management system to work in your benefit would be things like building rubrics within your discussion boards or your assignments, not only so that the students have clear expectations, and then you're going to have to manage less questions via email. You're going to have to manage less oh, yeah. rogue students wanting clarifications on things if you build clear standardized rubrics. They, they could be different for every single assignment at least, but if you're, if you're going to use week-in, week-out quizzes or discussion boards, if they know what to expect and how you're going to grade it, yeah. that saves so much time. And oh, it saves so much time for your your grading and your oh yeah your feedback we totally i mean i know rubrics for, for some people are a hard sell or they never get around to making one be, mm-hmm. for their assignments but and that's this another we should do a whole episode on this but there's a rubrics are great and i yeah. i stumbled into them i don't know how when i was teaching online as a survival mechanism because mm-hmm. you especially in english which was what i taught mm-hmm. you can write these essays essentially as response as a comment and and you're wasting your time doing that because a lot of what you need to say to everybody is the same stuff so if you can come up with a three to five point rubric you know it, the obvious components where you're just grading on the rubric you know things like in my case grammar uh, mla adherence you know things like that you you know what those are and you can set those categories and then you're just playing like you know, you're clicking, clicking boxes and then you leave yourself that room at the bottom for a little comment, but that comment gets shorter and that's better for you and them. They can process that a lot better. It's not as overwhelming. Yeah. Rubrics are great. It's a little like testing. It requires some work on the front end to build those things out. But once they're built out, then you can fine tune them. And eventually you've got a really nice tool that you can just keep using. And the new version of Blackboard, Blackboard Ultra makes it really easy to have a a bank of rubrics and and uh, reapply them. So 
I know this all sounds kind of creepy and standardized, but what it really does is <laughs> frees up space for instructors to do what they're really good at, which is, you know, interacting with their students and helping them, you know, see the light. <laughs> 100%. And I, I think that to piggyback off of that, I would say if it is kind of freaking someone out and saying, well, that just sounds, you know, sterile and, and you know, mechanistic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, there there's frameworks that you can create that are evergreen that if you're teaching, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, you can reuse those systems and those frameworks constantly. I mean, be thinking not just from a, this individual class in a silo. Yeah, for sure. But be thinking about if I'm going to teach more courses online in the future, if this type of rubric would apply to sure. my face-to-face -face students, why, why couldn't I take the framework? That sets you up for success for semesters down the road you as go. you're working on building more content for your courses yeah, in the future. Because, yeah, you know, if you have a writing, if you typically use writing assignments to get to some of those higher level thinking outcomes, then you can you can totally rinse and repeat that that mm -hmm. rubric the what counts as good writing for you is going to be the same in any class that you teach. Right. Uh, right. Now, you again, you leave yourself some room for the for the comment so you can nuance things a little bit. Did I just verb that? Yeah. So you can you can <laughs> add nuance to your reply and and touch on the content. But those structural things, those those things that have to be there, uh, like things being, in my case, things being grammatical, using sources well, stuff like that. You're just saving yourself reinventing the wheel if you come up with one of those. And you can, you know, you can you can iterate, you can build it out over time. And I, I think the caution I would say there on rubrics is uh, is keep it simple. You know, right. you, you'll be tempted to make an eight point rubric with five degrees of quality. And what I discovered in my own life doing that was that it worked a lot better when there were maybe three to five points, but only three degrees. It was yep. it either it was either good, it was excellent, or yep. it needed improvement. And that was kind of it. Absolutely. And and standardizing it across similar types of assignments within subject matter allows students to track progress. Oh, maybe in this first assignment I wasn't great at subject verb agreement. Right. Next assignment, oh man, I missed that again. But instead of an instructor willy-nilly grading or writing things through comments the whole yeah. time, they see more of that structure and they can track, oh, yeah. oh, okay, I see where I'm improving in this area. Last time I got an average performance in this. Right. Now I'm getting a excellent performance in this yeah, according to the rubric you're and giving I see them that, that growth. You're giving them that that really targeted feedback that way so they can they can track it. I, I had a student one time say, you know, here's what I, you know what I like about this class? This is what I like about this class. And he pointed at my rubric. This was back when I was doing this on paper, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, he's like, because I can see right here you know, that I left the page number off <laughs> and that cost me a point. That's not right. going to cost me a point next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those, yeah, rubrics, rubrics are good. There's a lot of great streamlined technologies built into the majority of the big learning management systems that you can continue to, to implement and Folks like instructional designers, academic technologists, learning technologists within your institution can be really helpful to lean into not just rubrics, but things like date management tools. So if you assign a date on any particular assignment, as long as that's got that earmarked within the assignment, you can go not just to every single assignment if you need to update dates for the next semester, but you can go to one resource within the LMS and update everything all at once. And that yeah. saves a ton of time. Same thing with quizzes and test pools. You have a bank of things you can pull and combine resources. You're not having to reinvent the wheel every time. So, so you want to work with your technology experts 
pedagogical experts within your institution to really lean into the LMS is built for you to save time yeah. intuitively. Right. Another area that is going to be important to bear in mind whenever you do shift to the online instruction space is going to be there's inevitably a dozen tasks that didn't exist in the face-to-face -face environment that are going to exist now in the online space. What are your experiences, James, with different ways to manage all the new tasks on top of the tasks that someone's going to already have as an, as an instructor. Sure. Yeah. Wh where would you kind of point them in that direction? Well, you know, I mean, I'm a to-do list type person, but recently I've gotten into a slightly more expanded version of that, which is a uh, thing called a Kanban. And it's a Japanese word that means springboard or billboard, or I've seen it described even as card you can see. And Toyota, the car manufacturer started using these in the fifties. And really what it is, is uh, the, the old school, like analog version, which you can still do if you want, is a whiteboard divided into three columns and uh -huh. a bunch of post-it notes. And your columns are to do, you know, everything that you think needs to be done. That can be a little overwhelming, but everything you think needs to be done. And then things you're working on right now. So to do, doing, and then done. And you move things across. And this gives you a visual of the body of work remaining in that to do column and the amount of work you're currently engaged in. And then the final thing. Now, Kanban has some other concepts like uh, limiting the work in progress. That's the stuff in the doing column. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really go with that. But what I do like the visual so I can see what's going on there because a million little tasks when you're building an online course and you want to get as many of them done as possible. So the Kanban thing has been really helpful. I've used, there's a bunch of apps out there that do it. Pretty much every productivity app or a project management app implements it because it's hip. It's been hip since, well, hip in this space, right? It's been, <laughs> it's been a popular thing since the Agile Manifesto came out in 2001. So almost every right. tool implements Kanban in some way. So far, the ones I like are Notion, mm -hmm. uh, which is a really interesting platform for uh, knowledge bases and project management and a million other things. It's kind of a really flexible um, tool. And then the other one, more kind of to this purpose, if, you're, if your company or organization runs Microsoft products, you may already have a license to Microsoft Planner. And Planner is not the same as Project, the right. really elaborate tool that project managers use. It's a, it's, a, it's a Kanban style project management, personal project management, but you can tag people. So like, yeah. um, you, you, this is my first term, first semester using it, and you're on a few builds with me, Alex, and right. I've been tagging you with stuff. I've been great tagging my instructors with stuff. Yeah. And I get I, the email and I know. Yeah, it sends them email. They can interact in the email without even going to the thing, but they mm -hmm. can also go straight to the thing if they want to see it. So I have started using it. I started it up this term to manage last minute details because I was getting to that space where there was a lot going on, but I wasn't sure what it was. So I had to get it out of my brain and into, in this case, uh, the Kanban, which is my trusted system, which lets me pivot to David Allen's getting things done methodology. We'll talk about that a little bit okay. in a second. But uh, getting it out of my head where it's just fuzzy and on on paper so that when we have a meeting with the client or with the instructor, we can say, okay, hey, let's run down some of these things. Are we going to have a video for lesson four? Okay, cool. We're not great. We'll cross it off. Right. But it's like, it helps, it helps remind you what you, what you intended to do. Cause you know, we build these things over a semester. It's easy to forget something that you wanted to do. And it's perfectly okay to renegotiate that agreement and say, hey, you know what? I don't think every lesson needs 
you know, a, a video of me talking, you know, I, I found it, I found a Ted talk for this one. Let's just use that. But the, the Kanban thing is nice. It visualizes things. It helps add a little bit of accountability and it gives you a way to have a real targeted conversation about a particular thing because you can get the comment threads going back and forth. And I was really surprised how many instructors that I've worked with this term who I wouldn't describe as super duper tech savvy took to this pretty naturally uh, and liked it. They liked having a list um, of things that they could go through. And it's much more, I found it more useful than a standard to-do list. It's got a little bit more nuance to it and uh, really worked well for for online course development. Absolutely. And, and the thing I didn't see happening, I knew it would let me visualize the tasks. It's it's a fancy to-do list, you know, except you get to move things in stages. Right. Uh, from just, from to-do to in progress. That's very helpful because, you know, you tend to work on these things and then you go work on something else. And so being able to come back and say, what's in progress? Oh, Yeah. And jump right back into that's very helpful because you can spin your wheels a lot trying to figure out what remains to be done or what you were working on last time. And I've tried taking notes and stuff. This works better for me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you can also use it outside of work. And the nice thing about the electronic version of, of Kanban, either in Notion or Planner or any of the million tools that let you do it, almost all of them have the ability to create a category or a tag or something like that. So you could easily filter your list by yep. your life outside of work, your work life, your side hustle. Your, you know, just whatever the categories are that make sense for your life, you can filter that way. And that gives you that, uh, that added ability to like, look at what you want to look at at that moment. When I get home, I don't want to think about work. I want to, but I got a lot of stuff to do at home. Yeah. So I want to look at just the home stuff. There's such a good satisfaction in the, the time management and seeing productivity move forward that snowballs when you're able to cross things off. And I think that's, what's great about planner and these steps is if you can ideate in a, in a visual space, what are my tasks, whether in a pre-build for an online course or in the week to week tasks that you're doing, checking that off and getting things done. Yeah. And maybe that, moving that's my intuitive way to understand it, but you, sure. you, you have no, no, more and maybe, the maybe the moving left or right helps too. And that, cause we read left or right. So that feels like progress too. Right. Um, but yeah, found to get back to foundations of this stuff, the Kanban thing is fairly recent for me and I like it, but I got into productivity or personal productivity or whatever back in 2002-ish. Early 2000s is when uh, David Allen came out with this book called Getting Things Done. Great little book, easy read, and he does consulting on on this stuff. But at the time, I was uh, doing a lot of web development, and this thing caught fire among web developers and other technical people um, for a couple of reasons. One was it seemed directly applicable to the kind of work we do. Um, and also because the it was intentionally platform agnostic, you know, because geeks are really particular about their tools right. and they don't want to be told to use some tool when they've got a favorite tool. He does it, I think, to this day with Outlook and with some plugins for Outlook that his company develops. But it took fire. A lot of people like doing it with a moleskin notebook with a bunch of tabs huh. and yeah. things on it. That became yeah, yeah. a that became a thing. Um, a bunch of apps came along that were focused just on GTD, as it's called, and it's a trademark registered trademark. I don't want to get a foul of the David. You're, you're, giving, you're giving him credit. I think yeah, we'll be yeah. in the safe zone. I, I jokingly call him the David in my in my house, <laughs> and my wife throws that back at me sometimes. She says, "What would the David say?" You know, when she catches me not <laughs> following that little sharp pain in your chest, like, "Oh, I'm caught." 
<laughs> well, the David says a lot of things, and I, you know, I'm not. This will not scoop his system at all. Though you can find summaries of it online. But I mean, just buy his book. It's like fourteen dollars, and and it will line it out for you. And and then you can implement it however you want to. But he has a few rules that I take to heart. Uh, one, and this goes straight into education theory, which is something we're well versed in as instructional designers, is breaking projects down into tasks or what. Yep. David Allen would call next actions. And by that, he means the next action that's actually going to move something forward. So you have all these actions, all these little things you got to do, and then you decide what's the next one. So instead of the concept of priority, uh, because everything's important, right? right? So trying to assign a priority, priority shift. So instead of doing that, what he does is kind of like the Kanban method. You you track, you try to list all those things you're going to do. What are, what's everything, every little task that when it's done, we can say the project's done because ultimately you can't do a project. You can just do tasks that add up to the project. That was a big, that was revelatory to me. I don't know mm-hmm. why. Because I was always trying to do a project. But you can't. You just can say, what is the project? And you line out all of those, all those to do's. And when those are done, it's done. And then you, for priority, you figure out Every time you look at it, you know, you sit down to work, you go, okay, what's the next thing that's going to move it forward? And then that's the thing you work on. He has a few other rules too. He has a, a, I can't remember how many minutes he uses. I use five minutes, but he has this rule, which is if you can do something, let's, let's go with five. If you can do something in five minutes, just do it. Mm-hmm. Don't track it yeah. because then you're adding that overhead to track it. You don't need to track it because you're not going to go look at the done list at the end and go, ah, and bask in the glory of the done list. You're just going to – you just need to get the thing done, the whole yeah. project done. So if you can knock it out right now, just knock it out right now. In general, this saves you some time you know, because you can – some of that stuff is low-hanging fruit and you can just knock it out. And uh, I mixed a metaphor there, but you get the idea. I think those are all great tips and, and kind of hacks to, to – really maximize your your management of time, not even from our targeted kind of demographic of online instructing, but just for life oh, yeah. in general. This is this is great. Yeah. Well uh, and 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 I would I'd probably segue in that even a little bit more pointedly into the online course development or online instruction mode. I would say as an instructor, you want to accomplish tasks by order of importance to the ultimate like course objectives. Those are going to be the things that carry the most significance sure. that carry the most time sensitivity more often than not. And so that you want to, as you are the expert who knows your course the best and what, as you know, what objectives you want to get out of them for your students, you're going to have to see how being in the online space, you could get distracted by a million little things sure. that have to do with the, the nuances of online instruction. Yeah. And this is where another point- and You should would... totally lean on your instructional designers and yes. academic technologists for all those little things. Like there's a million things, and even me, right? Like I, there's a plenty of things I can do mm-hmm. in, in the online space, technically speaking, but I'm lucky because we have people- you know, we have academic technologists that I can kick those tasks to. And those human beings are so much more efficient than I am at, for example, building quizzes. I'm right. slow at building quizzes. And most instructors are far slower than I am. So what we what we try to do and what what good instructional designers and academic technologists and learning management professionals should do uh, is is, you know, try to take some of that load off the instructor. So, you know, if they're, if they're comfortable banging out quiz questions in a Word document and indicating what's the right answer, great. And we just hand that off and somebody else can implement it. That kind of division of labor sort of thing, don't don't get too precious about that stuff, about yeah. doing it yourself. I mean, sure, learn new skills. Um, but if you learn how to use 
a Kanban, uh, then there's a skill that will apply to potentially many more things than learning how to build a quiz. Now, I say this for people blessed to have have a team. You know, I mean, right. I, when I first taught online, they said, hey, here's your login to Blackboard. I won't say who. It wasn't where we currently work. <laughs> uh, but they said, hey, here's your login to Blackboard. Have, Go. <laughs> yeah, have fun. Here's some syllabi that other other professors have used in a face-to-face environment for inspiration. Go for it. Well, I mean... Yeah, I didn't have anybody. I had yeah. I had a guy in case I couldn't get logged in. I had a yeah, guy, you had IT support. I had a guy in case, the, in case the system was down. I, I, I it would be totally unfair, I think, um, for to just spring that on most instructors because they don't have that background, and that's going to take them exponentially more time to build um, these things than it would people who use these tools every day. Regardless of the support system around you, whether it's a whole team like we're very fortunate to have here at Global Campus or, you know, if your institution where you're teaching at is thinner on the the support side, yeah. there are going to be resources out there to, to go and grab that'll help you. And I, I think the, the goal should be if you're, you're newer to that space, don't expect that you're going to master it all in one yeah, cycle. For like sure. the goal should be get the deliverable out there, get the course out there. You can refine it as you go. Courses are, are active in living spaces. Yeah. And you, you can build it and improve it over the course of multiple semesters and multiple Absolutely. iterations. Think in terms of iterations. You have the five-minute rule for accomplishing tasks to, to remove that cognitive load for you. I try to work actively and encourage others to work by the 30-minute the rule when it comes to a, a slightly different time management um, okay. opportunity. And that's especially in this space. Let's suppose you are coming into a system or some kind of tool within the learning management system that you're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Don't spend more than 30 minutes trying to solve it by yourself. And maybe for you, based on your workload, it's 15 minutes. Again, sure. it's it's going to be malleable based on you. your – your. but for me, I try to implement a 30-minute rule. I'm going to spend at least half an hour – if I've come into something on Blackboard, for instance, that I'm just totally ignorant to, I'm going to spend at l- just 30 minutes trying to solve this myself. Yeah. And then if I cannot, once 30 minutes are up, if I'm going to kick it to one of the other IDs and be like, hey, can you help me with this? Or go. I'm going to search online – for discussion board forums or other other areas where people have encountered this problem before. But I want to at least try and wrap my brain around it because maybe maybe I can solve it in five minutes. Maybe I can solve it in 10. But if I get to that, that point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to – there's, like, there's going to be a point where I'm – there's a sunk cost here and I could I yeah. could be burning way too much time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's smart. And, and you know, you might even want to use a timer because, I mean, I know I can, I can get – kind of hyper-focused on some of these yeah. problems and not able to break out of it really, but uh, unless something comes along to make me. One other quick little little hack is don't be afraid to to post at large when you notice mistakes or you notice commonalities where oh, yeah. like you might totally in a, efficient to do in a that. in a face to face if there's a missed question on a quiz that seemed very universal you can just address that face in, in the in the face to face environment and online to avoid a dozen emails from individual students like post that video to the discussion board or to the the announcements page you've solved it right there as far as like hey here's the situation here's what i saw occur it's those little things that you don't necessarily intuitively know that that's going to have to happen right. in the online space but it will save you oh yeah on the I back mean, end if you I, know that up front uh, i read an essay a million years ago and i can't remember the name of it but 
it was about looking for patterns of error. And in this case, they were talking specifically about commenting on written assignments saying, don't try to get everything. Don't try to get everything wrong. It's overwhelming for you and for the recipient of that feedback. Instead, try to find the try to find a pattern of things that if the student were to focus on that, it would make the biggest impact in improving their writing. So if you have a problem forming possessives, say, you can say, hey, I noticed in your thing, you have several places where you form possessives incorrectly. Here's a link to, you know, a thing on that. And you can do that. I mean, every instructor in a face-to-face class kind of does this anyway. You know, you come in and you say, hey, I noticed a lot of you guys had trouble with the work cited page. I'm going to keep doing English examples because they come easily to me, but whatever it is in your field. And you can do that in the online space too. You, you, with the announcements tool in any, in any app, um, you you can just say, hey, I noticed, and this goes to that regular substantive interaction to say, hey, in the last assignment, a lot of people had trouble with blah, blah, blah. I mean, don't call them out, anonymize it, but you're benefiting most of them probably. Cause if that, you know, if you're picking a thing that more than one person had trouble with, then you're addressing that for more people. It's, it's a two for uh, two for one, but also you're reinforcing that rule for other and that expectation for other people in the class, even if they don't struggle with it in the way that those couple of students did. Yeah, that's good stuff. And, and of course, you know, spoonful of sugar. Tell them some things that went well right. before you launch into the the uh, things that didn't go so well. The affirmation sandwich the is affirmation the, the way that sandwich. I've, I've <laughs> yeah. heard it told. <laughs> say something positive, provide the critique, and then say something positive. Yeah, yeah it's good end. if you can end Depend- on something positive. People, Depends on how you want to... People be- people remember the beginning and the end. This is We've got science for this, right? Primacy and recency. Effects. There you go. Yeah. They, they requ- You've got the technical terms. Check you out. Um, <laughs> yeah, they remember the stuff at the beginning and stuff at the end. They don't remember the middle so much. Uh, right. So... So yeah, if you can do it on, if you can do a little positive on both sides, that's great. Yep, absolutely. To kind of wrap this up, I would just remind those listeners, again, thinking of that puzzle analogy again, when it comes to time management, what are going to be your corner pieces that you know are going to be ever present that will anchor how you then approach the rest of the puzzle to put together. So you want to figure out what are those things that I know I need to figure out upfront? How am I going to replace my time here? How am I going to fill in the time here? And then how can I group? And that's where things like the, the Kanban can be really beneficial because they help you put things into groups and categories that then you can tackle the, the whole picture. And like uh, the project analogy there too, it's like you, you haven't built a puzzle until you've put all 500 little pieces together. That's right. And it's the same thing with building an online course and teaching an online course and to do that in the most efficient way. Yeah. If you're if you're not currently using some sort of tool to track the tasks for a particular course that you're building, pick one. You know, yeah. even if even if the one you pick is a legal pad and a pen. Just yeah. get started doing that so that you know what remains to be done and you don't have to try to keep stuff in your head. Now there's probably somebody out there who's really great at keeping full list in their head, but I'm not that person. Me neither. So yeah, there's so many tools. Yeah. Um, and if you're lo- if you're struggling for a, a tool, start for with Microsoft Project or Notion because those are great. But I'm sure there are a billion others. And hey, if you if you find it, let us know. We'll yeah. uh, we'll add a few of these to the show notes probably. Absolutely. And so yeah, in the spirit of of time management, we'll uh, we'll <laughs> yeah we got to wrap it sometime. We'll, we'll wrap at some point there. And so thanks for listening, James. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks, thanks Alex uh, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So look forward to chatting with y'all next time. This is the Pedagogy Toolkit. <laughs>